Hey, it's Kevin Rogers here. Great episode today with Derek Halpern. You're really going to dig this. One of the best episodes for raw uh, honesty and emotion. Uh, Derek is a guy I've been following for a long time, and he's a very intense cat. And uh, I love when he goes off and sort of gets angry. <laughs> Derek's one of those guys that even when he's saying something flattering, it sounds like he's angry. Uh, so you're really going to enjoy listening to Derek. Of course, the content he shares is second to none. I want to make a quick note about an unfortunate little tech glitch. I record these calls over Skype. You know, 95% of the time I get a real clean recording. But on this call, every once in a while, about every 10 minutes or so, there was a, a weird little sound like aliens were invading the call. And uh, I just want to point out when that happens – you know, the, if the conversation's really flowing, I don't stop to interrupt and say, hey, could you say that again? Because it just totally breaks the flow of what was going down. So forgive that little glitch. There's no point where it happened that you won't understand what's being said. So I just want to acknowledge it. Uh, ask for your patience. It's not too brutal. And I hope you dig this episode with Derek Halpern. And come leave us some comments over at copychief.com forward slash T-A-M. Enjoy. You hear all the bull about marketing every day. Make your money in your sleep. My new offer is crushing it. My guru could beat up your guru. It's time to go right to the source and get the truth about marketing. With your host, the founder of CopyChief.com, Kevin Rogers. Hey, welcome back to The Truth About Marketing. I'm your host, Kevin Rogers. Super excited to bring on my guest today. Derek Halpern is a guy that I've followed uh, for many, many years in this business. And uh, I have to say, I'm not you know, going to smooch ass right out of the gate here, but Derek is one of those guys who creates content that I not only appreciate when I encounter it, but I always follow up on his content. And to me, that is a huge thing to consider when you're out creating content or intending to create content. I, I once, I think, sent Derek a picture of like four different books that were on my shelf that, <laughs> that I had bought just from listening to your podcast. So Derek, lots to talk about. Really appreciate you making time to come on today. Dude, thanks so much for having me. I'm just getting back into the swing of doing some of these podcasts and I always forget how much fun I have on them. So thanks again. Yeah, man, my pleasure and uh, really honored to have you. So let's just talk a minute ab about, if we could, and by the way, socialtriggers.com is uh, Derek's site. Uh, we could just we could do a series of shows just on the evolution of this blog, but uh, Derek, could we talk for a minute about content and uh, you know what what do you, how do you think about content uh, like what what qualifies an idea for you to follow up on it and create a, a, a blog piece out of it? Yeah, this is a great question because there's a lot of people out there who want to create content as a way to attract more people to their business. So I view every piece of content I create similar to how a lot of business owners might view 
someone who cold calls potential prospects, right? Mm. Each piece of content is out there 24-7 trying to cold call potential prospects into liking what I do. Mm. And the best part is you only got to pay to create it once, whereas those cold callers, you got to keep paying over and over and over again. So when I think about content, I think that I want to create a piece of content that's going to attract the ideal person for my business. And those ideal people are not the same people. And I guess I always tell people that there's no such thing as an ideal customer. There's no such thing as a customer avatar. What there is such thing of is ideal customers, and there's many different types of customers that you might want to reach. So when I create a piece of content, I'm always targeting one of my several ideal customers. Now, to bring this to life, an example, I did a video called uh, So I Got a $310 Haircut, <laughs> and I learned three surprising things about pricing. On the surface, it's like, all right, Derek's ridiculous. He spends $300 on a haircut. That's the first thing. But it's memorable. So that's the first thing, right? I'm yeah. getting you – I'm getting your attention, and it's memorable. I then tell a story about how a hairstylist charges $300 for a haircut and how I got it. Interesting story. I then segue into why this $300 haircut can teach everybody in all types of businesses how to charge premium prices, right? So if I mail this to my list, everyone likes, likes this article. But let me tell you the real reason why I did it. Did it. I had, I had an experience, an experience where, where I was getting, I was getting a few people emailing me that ran hairstylist businesses in the real world. And I was like, why are hairstylists watching my stuff? Hmm. So I, I, I started to talk to them. I asked them, like, oh, well, we're looking to build an email list for our clients, da 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 just like what everyone else wants to do. So I wrote that video and filmed it, and then after I published it, I was using it to reach out to people in the hairstylist community as a way to get the attention of more hairstylists. Hmm. And it went viral in that community. Wow, that's great. It went super viral. Now, that's like a one-off thing. I did it with massage therapy too. There's just one thing about how to turn new customers into repeat customers. That's a blog post I did. Hmm. I tell a story about a massage therapist as in the beginning. Why? Because I, I knew my existing readers would like it because it's about turning new customers into repeat customers, yes. Mm -hmm. But I, I used that piece as a way to go viral in the massage community. And I got a 1,000 massage therapists on my list just by doing wow. that. So every piece of content is supposed to reach a specific ideal customer, and then I do everything in my power to get their attention. That's it. it. That's great. Love it. Huge. And, you know, uh, you were kind enough to invite me to uh, be on Creative Live with you a couple of years back. And I remember part of you, why the reason you were excited to do it was the market, was creative professionals, uh, primarily photographers, right? Yep. And so you were very conscious of that crowd. And uh, remind me, I, I think you'd written a couple of things that brought that crowd similar to what you're saying about hairdressers and massage therapists. So you're already kind of on the radar of that group, yeah? Yes. So that's exactly what I do is I never look at, oh, my God, I need more prospects. I never think about that. Mm. I always think about, all right, here are the 10 different types of prospects I have. What am I going to do to get photographers this month? Great. What am I going to do to get people who sell online courses this month? And then each 
campaign or content is going after a specific type of person. Yeah. Here's what I love about this is that I think people get this idea sometimes and they think, oh, I want to create a product that can be for everybody, but then I'll customize it just by putting their industry in the title, right? Yeah. You know, like a dummy series or something, you know, or I think guerrilla marketing kind of did that when it became such a duplicated premise. So it was guerrilla marketing for photographers or whatever. But what I love about what you're saying is the core content can serve the greater audience. You know what people want from you in your content, but you can specify it through story and example and automatically draw that person to your site, brand new audience with never having to create something separate or forego the interest of your core uh, viewer. Yes, that's exactly it. I mean, this this just comes back to just marketing 101, right? Is you have to know who you're talking to. Yeah. Let me give you a marketing problem. I sell a thing called Zippy Courses. It's a software product. And it helps people create and protect their online course. Now, let me w- break down the types of customers we have, right? We have the people who want to create and sell online courses and they need a plugin to protect it. Those people... All I have to do is show them my product and they're going to buy, right? Because that I just show them that I can deliver on what they already want. However, there's another group of people, and that group of people might be people who want to start an online business. So now if I want to get that person, it's like, oh, so you want to start an online business. Well, I heard that creating and selling online courses is a great online business that you can start. Here's why. That's how you get that person. Now, maybe another customer might be a service professional. Hey, so you're a service professional and you're tired of trading your time for money. Well, it turns out you could actually productize your service into an online course that people can buy 24-7 whether you're working or not. Hmm. Now, that's a different hook. So I guess I'm always thinking about when I'm thinking about content, what person am I trying to reach and am I saying the right message to that person to get their attention because I can't go to someone who sells a service and say, Hey, you want to create and sell online courses? They're like, why would I want to do that? Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. Right. And so how do you determine whether a a piece has landed or not? Comments or. In the beginning, how many subscribers did I get? Hmm. That's all that matters to me is how many more subscribers. You you track it from that specific uh, article and you can see exactly who read engaged, and then subscribed. Exactly. That was in the beginning, Mm -hmm. right? Now, social triggers became a content machine. And I don't, to be frank, is when I was working on my first 10,000 or 20,000 or 50,000 subscribers, I was a lot more methodical about who I reached out to and why. Now that I have over 200,000 people, I email it out knowing that it's going to resonate with them, knowing that I'm hitting a specific story or market, knowing that I have enough people on my list Mm -hmm. that they're going to share it with the right people. Now, that doesn't mean I shouldn't continuously do what I used to do. I actually need to get back to doing that. But now it's different than when I first started, I guess, is what I'm trying to say. And that's like part of the the genesis of growing a business, right? Yeah. Is the things that you do in the beginning aren't always the things that you do later, sure. but then eventually you have to go back to the fundamentals and do that over again. So that's kind of where I'm at right now. Very interesting. And I'm just scrolling through your comments here. 
Uh, and I noticed that there's a lot of back and forth. And you don't sit and, and babysit these comments. And so you don't have some hard rule about how much you engage in the comments, that kind of thing. But do you have people you count on to have conversations in the comments or you just kind of let them be what they are? I kind of just let them be what they are. Sometimes I pop in there and say some stuff. Mm-hmm. I used to be a lot more active with the comments section too. I kind of slowed off on that. And actually I've noticed that comments declined when I stopped responding. Yeah. Um, but yeah. again, it's like, what does it really matter? I don't know. Yeah. I don't know, but they're, very, they're still very healthy. I think you and Ramit and Marie, are just, the, I think, the masters of spurning, uh, spurning, is that a word? <laughs> Sparking, uh, you know, dialogue. And I noticed that, it, Ramit, maybe a little more, but you guys, it's not about you getting in there and feeling obligated to respond to everything. Yeah, it's about yeah. giving people a platform to sound off. And that, that's often enough engagement. You've done somebody a great service by inspiring them to share. Exactly. Very cool. Great. So, Derek, on this show, we have a core question, and I'm excited to hear your answer. I don't know what it is, but the question is, what's the one thing you've done in all your marketing that produced the most surprising results? I have something that's going to blow your mind. Oh, great. I I sell a course called uh, Blog That Converts. I first filmed this course back in 2012. It's one of my best-selling products over at Social Triggers. Um, like most products, I always aim for a nice, healthy 15% refund rate. And the reason why I want a refund rate of about 15% is I know that I'm getting people to buy it or to try it as opposed to just saying no to it. You know what I mean? Yes. So I like a nice, healthy 15% refund rate. Well, earlier this year, I updated the entire course. I rebuilt it from the ground up. I refilmed all the videos, made a new, a new design, new membership area, new everything. I basically turned it from something that felt a little janky because it was the first course I ever created, and I elevated the brand, hmm. the look, the feel, that, like, you know, the design, the usability, that stuff. I elevated the brand. I launched it, and the refund rate was cut almost in half. Wow. Same pitches, same way of marketing. You know, same number of customers, same conversions, refund rate was cut in half. Hmm. This was super shocking to me because I always, I mean, look, I know design is important and I know people judge on design. I just didn't think it would actually impact a refund rate like that. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. And from this point forward, I just, you know... When I first started Social Triggers, it was just me. I was happy to just put some good stuff out. There was all about the content. Now, as a company with more than, I don't even know how many people we're at now, but like probably 10, 15 people or whatever, uh, we try to make sure everything we do is a cut above from a design perspective, from a branding perspective, from a production value perspective. And I actually saw firsthand, here's a course that I sold for three years. I had very steady numbers. I launched it, new version, new design, new stuff, half the refund rate. Doesn't make any sense. Amazing. And so what you didn't know until you did it just because you felt like it was time was that the poor design or at least the basicness of the design was part of the reason that it had a higher uh, refund rate. And so – 
that's really interesting. Do you have any idea about whether people were engaging more or less with the product because of the design? I don't have that information for you. That, that, that would be interesting to know. And, and so, but nothing else changed about the offer. I mean, basically used the same copy. Yeah, very similar copy, uh, very similar messaging, very similar. Actually, the messaging was a little bit more general because mm. uh, I was trying to reach somebody who was a little bit less, uh, less interested in buying a product about blogging. Right. So I was actually, actually expecting, since I was reaching out, reaching out that new customer, I was expecting the refund rate to go up because I was trying to target someone who's a little bit less than a perfect fit right. to expand my market. You know, you, you know how that goes, right? Like Absolutely. perfect market's great. You nail it down. Eventually you want to expand your market. I was trying to expand it. So I was expecting a higher refund right. rate. Because it'd be more, and, more of a mismatch with people. Exactly. And it was actually a lower refund rate. And to be honest with you, I don't have any statistical significance that design was the, the core reason why. Maybe the course is that much better. I don't know. But to me, it felt like design was the answer yeah. because the content is still very similar. The content, yeah. the content changed. Don't get me wrong. It changed. It got a little bit more organized. But I don't think that's what did it. I right. think the design is what did it. Yeah, because just, the, the appeal and the, thing, and the material you delivered were, were, were the consistent, right? And so uh, it, it, it certainly played a role. It's really interesting. And I wonder if uh, – just to get all cosmic for a minute here – if because you felt better about it, kind of like your your car always runs better after you have it uh, detailed. <laughs> I wonder if there's like some subconscious effect of that, you know, like you maybe, can, you know, um, but uh, really fascinating. Well, I love that. That's the the answer. I haven't heard anything like that before in the show. Uh, and it, it leads us into the idea of design, both you as and it's something you're very conscious of. Um, uh, in, you know, your own personal style. And, and I love that you talk a lot about this, why you make these choices, uh, why you, you know, you have this unique ability to talk about things that could be really off-putting to who is probably your core audience, to, you know, in some regard, yet you make them uh, want it, it makes them want it more and want it for themselves rather than go look at it, listen to this rich prick bragging about how much he spends on a haircut you know or yep. or it, how much he paid for that suit what did you ever have any hesitation about that or were you just being honest and talking about your evolution i just try to be you know here's the bottom line right and i, I was never public about this until just recently but when i was a kid my mom was on welfare. My dad was in jail. I would come home from school and I'd have like a, like a heroin addicted uncle passed out in my bed. Mm. You know, I had a really shitty childhood. And now if I compare to where I'm at right now, I live in Manhattan. I look out my window. I got Central Park. I get $300 haircuts. R ridiculous shit. Mm -hmm. However, I'm not pretentious enough to think this is normal because I also know what my normal used to be, right? Mm -hmm. So when I try something like a $300 haircut, I went in there expecting it to be complete bullshit. Mm -hmm. And I went in there with the, and I was delightfully surprised that it wasn't. And I was so excited 
about the fact that I was expecting it to be BS and wasn't, and I found that it was the exact opposite, that I had to share that with other people. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I personally had to understand, like, a lot of people hear it's $300 haircut. Oh, your haircut doesn't look like it's $300, mm-hmm. right? That's the first thing they say. But it's like, also, here's this guy that has one of the top stylists in, in Manhattan, this guy Jordan Blackmore over at Three Square Studios. He, uh, and people go there, and he's got super loyal customers. And, you know, it's not just me. There's tons of people who go there for $300 haircuts. You know what I mean? Right. So, like, at that point, I want to understand why he's able to do it. And I believe if we understand the why, uh, it helps everyone learn about charging a premium price for their services too. So I never – like there's some people out there like, hey, I got $310 haircuts. Wouldn't you like to get one someday? Yeah. That's like rude. Right. I'm saying I got a $310 haircut. It was super weird. But you know what? I found out that it was amazing and here's what I learned. It's like – it's a lot more approachable, I guess. Yeah, and, and you gave takeaways. Here's how you can think about pricing, right? Yes. Uh, are, you, are you limiting yourself strictly by the number you're comfortable with? Yes. Right? Uh, man, that's great stuff. Um, that's exactly it, right? So as long as it's a takeaway, I never share it. A lot of people share, hey, I'm driving a Ferrari. Wouldn't you like to drive a Ferrari? <laughs> right, like, right. That's, that's the, scammy. The douche version, right. I don't traffic in that and even if you look at my all my sales copy my website you'll never see me talk about how much revenue i make right you'll right. you'll see like hey all right i got a team of people we're obviously in the seven seven range, range. I, I'm, I'm, open. I'm open about this and i don't do that to brag it's more like i want people to know that this isn't just me writing a blog post you know what i mean i got a team of people that make this happen right right so i'm open about that stuff but that's not necessarily to make people think like, hey, do you want to build what I have? It's more like, hey, here's what I'm doing and here's why I'm different than everybody else. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. So, so your lifestyle is not a uh, marketing tactic. It's just the realistic backdrop of how you live. Exactly. That's exactly it. I'm not using my lifestyle as a tactic. Mm. Uh, that's probably – I mean it could be a mistake. You know, that could be a mistake. I probably should use my lifestyle as, a, as an example of what could happen just because I, I you know, I, I had no connections. I'm not tech savvy. Right. I don't even know how to turn on this DVR thing that we have in the house. <laughs> and you know what I mean? Like I yeah. could do stuff like that. I just don't. Right, right. Uh, we talk a, a minute about um, your – if you don't mind, because you, you revealed it, you know, and you talked about your childhood. I didn't know that about you. Uh, and it's interesting for me to hear that you're sharing on that level because I've been trying to get you to talk about your, your card playing days for a while. <laughs> and I know that was something that you were hesit- hesitant about. And I, I honestly believe that when we do share, it's very freeing to us and other people. But there's a, always a creepy element to it. We don't know who the hell's out there reading this stuff or how they're going to react to it or, you know. Um, yep. But I want to ask you a psychological question because I know you read a lot about mindset and, and you have given some of the greatest interviews. I, I'm not kidding, man. Like, you have turned me on to more things that have really moved the needle on my my mindset, my thinking, my worldview of this, not only life, but this industry we're in. I'll never forget Nancy Duarte 
uh, one yep. of the greatest interviews ever. I went out and bought that book and like uh, preached her for so long. Uh, so anybody, the the podcast is it um, Social Triggers podcast or was it's it? Social tri- It actually hasn't been updated. Yeah. in like two years. Right. I it's called you. it's called Social Triggers Insider. But every podcast that's already there is worth listening to. Absolutely, one hundred percent. And like you know, yes, and like download them and save them somehow in case. Something ever wipes out the internet. Yeah. <laughs> you want these things on disc, man. Um, yeah. Really good stuff. Uh, so, um, but let's just talk. I want to talk about a mindset thing because one of the biggest struggles people encounter is just this idea of being good enough or charging enough or that it's okay for them to ask for money, accept money, charge money. And, you know, you're not a guy, it sounds like, who, who grew up in the, an environment where anybody was a beacon of business in your life. Am I, is that safe yeah. to say? And you, so you had to figure this all out for yourself. What kind of mental sort of like, you know, roadblocks did you deal with in, in that regard as far as, you know, going, I'm, I'm going to take what's mine, man, and nothing's going to stop me. Yeah, let me, exa- I got, you know, this is what I'm passionate about. It's something I'm going to be focusing on in a real big way in the future. I wrote an article, but I guess here's the bottom line, right? When I was a kid, my mom was on welfare. My dad was in jail, and I was surrounded by just drug addicts in my family who would steal money from my mom. Like, things were real bad, right? I told you earlier, like, I'd come home from school. I'd have a drug-addicted uncle passed out in my bed. And then when I'd go to sleep later that night, I would smell the alcohol on my pillowcase Mm. like this was my life now what was interesting was i got very lucky and let me tell you how i got so lucky my grandma not my dad's mom wanted more from my mom she was on welfare she wanted her to be uh she wanted her to be just a positive force in our life, right? So my grandma pushed my mom to go back to school. She was a high school dropout, but she pushed her into going to school while she had two kids to become a nurse. And I watched my mom transform from being this person on welfare to with two kids and working a full-time job, going to school full-time, raising two kids full-time, and having a full-time job. Becoming this person who was like a waitress to someone who was a nurse, and then as a nurse, she excelled to, to be just much more successful as a nurse, and she went from making you know, no money to making more money, which was great. Mm-hmm. So I had this great example of someone in my life who I believe was the exception to the rule, right? Most people think that when you grow up without connections, without a positive influence, without all this stuff, you can never change it. But my mom's an example of someone who changed it. And I saw that in real time. Mm-hmm. So I always, I always told myself, myself that no matter what I do in my life, I'm going to be the exception to the rule. And I know that not everyone can be the exception to the rule because, you know, if everyone was the exception to the rule, that's the new normal. But you can strive to be the exception to the rule. So when I hear a stat like 17 out of 18 women make less than $100,000 per year, and some women are like, they're getting upset about this. Like, oh my God, it's not fair. Women make less than men. Yeah, it sucks. Or I just said 17 out of 18 women. You can strive to be the one out of 18. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Seven out of 10 adults 
20 plus are overweight or obese. This is a fact. Yeah. Strive to be the three out of 10 that isn't. So I personally have always strived to look at the statistics of what's average, and I've strived to be better than that. Hmm. And I think me focusing on that has helped me in every aspect of my life because I do that. When I started speaking, I was an average speaker. I got off the stage. I did okay. You could actually Google this. Derek Halpern, Affiliate Summit 2011. You'll see a video of me speaking for the first time at a conference. I was horrible. Like I look at it. People are like, oh, it's not that bad. No, it was bad, right? <laughs> people think I'm a natural speaker. If you watch that video, you're going to be like, Derek is not a natural speaker. He sucks. You know. And then – I wanted to be the exception to the rule. So what did I do? I read every book about speaking I could find. I watched every popular TED Talk. I I did transcripts of all the popular TED Talks. I pretended I was giving the popular TED Talks. And then eventually I got real good at speaking. You know what I mean? So I always strive to be good. Yeah. And you dedicated yourself to it in a big way. I remember how much you were speaking and traveling. I'll never forget you saying to me, we were at a conference together, and I said, what, something about, you know, what's your goal? What are you after? And you said, right now, the mission I'm on with all the speaking is I want every person in this room to at least have heard my name. Even if they're not intimately familiar with my work, they're all going to know my name. Yep. And what I love about that is it, it's not like a measurable result necessarily, but for you, it was important. And, you know, is you put a thing on that, like, okay, if I'm going to be out here speaking, that's going to be, because that's actually a pretty real time gauge, right? Like, I think we hit these levels of almost like intangible success. Uh, as you rise up in the ranks and you're somebody like kind of known in the industry, it's, it's, it can be a little difficult to, to know how popular you are, how people are talking about you, how you're perceived, right? But yeah, my goal, actually, just so that you were right, I don't want them to know my name after the speaking, though. I wanted to go to yes. a conference, and I wanted nine out of ten people at that conference to know who I was without me having to introduce myself. Yeah, that's what you said. Right, exactly. Yeah, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? So the goal was that I wanted people to, to be honest with you, I'm introverted. I'm loud, I'm obnoxious, but I'm, I, I like to stay by myself. Mm-hmm. I don't really like meeting new people that much. It's, like, kind of stressful for me. Mm-hmm. So for me... I wanted them to know who I was and what I did without me having to talk to them, right? Mm. That way when they would come and talk to me, I didn't have to try to like impress them. They just already mm. knew what I did. You know what I mean? Interesting. So it was, like, it was almost like a defense against what, something that was uncomfortable for you. Yes. So, so it was not only a professional goal, it's a personal goal. Yes. Wow. Really, really fascinating. Yeah, great stuff. Uh, uh, I hate to go backwards here, but something I wanted to follow up on real quick. You talked about not using lifestyle as a tactic. What do you think of um, people, you know, sharing in their income on their sites and really kind of waving that flag? Uh, you know, I think it's motivating. I think some people like it. I just think it's just so tacky because does your income really matter, matter or does, does the, in- the income of your students matter more? Hmm. Right? Like, okay, great. I – I make a lot of money, but does that really matter? Not really, right? What matters is how, what kind of success do I get people who pay me? That's what matters, not how much money I make. So when I, th- when I see people talking about their income, I think that if they're using that as the crux of their marketing, 
I think they're lazy and I think that they're doing their customers a disservice. And what they should be focusing on is the results that they can get their people, not just the results that they can get themselves. Mm. Yeah, I like that. And so I guess there is a way to do it to where it's obvious that that is the beacon and why you're sharing it, right? So yes. you go, you, I, I'm telling you how I'm creating this income. I'm not waving it in your face. I'm saying I did it this way and you could easily mimic this. Or even better yet, hey, I've got this way of doing it. I would tell you about how much money I make doing it, but that's really irrelevant. Let me tell you about mm. someone who worked with me one-on-one and here's what I helped them do. Gotcha. That yeah. type of thing. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? So – this doesn't mean you can't talk about yourself. Yeah. This doesn't mean you can't share your success. It means that it shouldn't be the only thing you've got. Mm. Does that make sense? That's great. I love that. That's the quote of the show right there. I love that. It's because, you know what? Well, you just categorized the whole market of people, frankly. You know what oh. I call those same people? I call them telemarketers with laptops. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly it. They're telemarketers with laptops, and they're giving us all a bad name, to be honest with yeah, you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I kind of this is why, like, to be honest, I don't talk to internet marketers. Yeah, I literally have three friends. You know, like, actually, two of the marketers I respect are people that you just mentioned, and Marie mm-hmm. and Rami. You know, I think that we're doing some great work, and it's interesting that people always group us together. It's like, oh, you three really do good job. It's because we try. Yeah, you know what I mean. Yep, absolutely. Absolutely. All right. Sorry. No, go ahead. I love it. I mean, go off. I, I want to say there are other people I obviously yeah. like too, too, but, right. but there, there, and, and there are other people that I highly respect. So if I'm not naming any names right now, it's just like, I'm just not thinking of them. So it right. doesn't mean I think no, everyone's no. bad. <laughs> hey, they know who they are, Derek. They're listening. They if they're uncomfortable right now, maybe they should take inventory. Right. right? If they have my cell number, then. <laughs> Good chances are I actually like them. That's a good rule. That's a good rule. All right. I'm going to ask you one last question. I want to respect your time. This has been incredible. Really appreciate it. Um, I know that so many things come along. You're a master of taking a piece of content. It's not about volume. It's about high impact, high quality content. And then you make sure you do everything in your power to make make sure that content gets seen. Yes. Uh, What new mediums have come along that have impressed you or forced you to implement them into your content machine, so to speak? Yeah, none. Ha! I, I don't do anything new. I got way too much time invested. I, I don't have time for new stuff. I like to see what's working. And it's actually bad because when I got started, I'd be testing new stuff all the time. Yeah. I have so much stuff that I need to do right now. Like as an example, you know, we do a lot of paid traffic, but we only do paid traffic on Facebook. Right. We do no Google AdWords, no YouTube, nothing. So it's like, all right, do I try something new or do I go focus on a channel that I know that works already? Yeah. I've got enough to do that I know. Essentially, I guess people in marketing are always obsessed with the new best thing. However, there's that old thing that still works that you're not doing. Mm. And those fundamentals, those basics are where some of your best growth will come from. And it's honestly something that's very hard to do, like even with me. 
I stopped doing podcasts like this, even though these types of interviews and podcasts are what put my name on the map in the first place. Right. I stopped doing them. And I look back to myself and I'm like, why the heck did I do that? <laughs> they were, uh, it worked so great. Why was I not doing this the whole time? <laughs> and right. like, imagine me getting up out of the shower. I got a towel wrapped around me, call myself an idiot because it's like you just stopped doing the thing that was always working. working. And, and trying to do shit with this paid advertising. And mind you, now we got the paid advertising thing down. It's great. I want to do podcasts again because it's like you have to go back to your roots. Mm. And I think for everyone who's listening, you already know where you're getting your results from right now. Do more of that. And when it comes to the, idea, the other big idea of the 80-20 content creation rule is what I call it, is that basically I'm a firm believer that once you create a piece of content – there's a million people out there that can benefit from that content. If it only reaches 1,000 people, you've got to find the other 999,000 people that will benefit from that. Mm. Why spend all your time uh, creating more content if you've got content you can use already to reach more people? And that's why when I created the haircut video as an example, I then promoted it in hairstylist communities. When I created that massage therapy article, I then promoted it in massage communities. Now – Nowadays, the way I promote it is I just target hairstylists on Facebook and then promote it that way and pay to get their attention right. and spend enough money. Hopefully enough people see it and it just pops and it goes viral. You know what I mean? So yeah. I do that a lot. Um, I, guess that's, I guess that's just the point, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, it's great. I love it. it the, my takeaway from there is like are you really squeezing all the juice out of the one thing that's delivering for you right now? And, and probably not, right? Like just Facebook ads alone, I'm sure you could put all your, your money and in, in effort into it and find out, okay, we finally maxed this thing, <laughs> right? Exactly. Uh, then move on to Google or whatever. Uh, but forget it, you know, Periscope and all these things that come along. It's so easy to get down these rabbit holes and look up one day, like you said, and go, why the hell did I – life was great a year ago. Why did I stop doing that stuff? Yep, exactly. Awesome. This doesn't mean you shouldn't try new things, though, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah. I think new things are you. You should get in a healthy habit of trying some new stuff. I just don't think anyone needs to try new stuff. I think they got to focus on what they already know and do more of it. Yeah, I think, yeah, you had a great point. They, they probably know what it is. And if they could, you know, relieve themselves of feeling obligated to do all these new things, they'd probably get a lot more juice out of their day in their budget. It, exactly. Great. Derek, I, mean, I couldn't be more thankful. This was a great interview, as I knew it would be. Uh, really appreciate it. Everybody can find more Derek over at socialtriggers.com. You'll find all his courses. You'll get amazing content. Get on the list over there. You got to get Derek's uh, on his emails, just his emails alone, uh, let alone clicking over to the to the articles, which you, you won't be able to resist. Uh, years ago, I broke down one of Derek's emails uh, and it was one of the most popular pieces of content I ever made. And it was funny because you saw it and you wrote back to me and you're like, I didn't even know I was doing any of that crap. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, Derek's a guy to watch even in, in spite of his own uh, awareness sometimes. So get on the <laughs> list over at socialtriggers.com. Thanks a ton for doing this, Derek, man. We'll talk soon. Thanks for having me. That felt good. I think that was a really good show. Yeah, I dug it. Hey, if you want the show notes and the links we mentioned, uh, head over to copychief.com forward slash 
T-A-M, that's copychief.com forward slash T-A-M. And it's all waiting for you right there. If you're interested in getting uh, coaching from me on business, on copywriting, plus access to all the amazing trainings like the Fast Wins Copy Course and the 60 Second Sales Hook, plus the community, that's the real golden ticket, the community of like-minded helpful, cool business owners and uh, professional copywriters, you should come on the inside of Copy Chief. You can get the best deal. Shh, it's our secret. Copychief.com forward slash special. I'll watch for you inside.